Today's podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter and online course taker, John Peters. If you'd like to take the online writing course, now's a great time. With New Year's resolutions right around the corner, why not get a head start right now? You can get the online course, the silver edition, that's your self-paced edition, at 20% off right now by using the code BETTERCOMEDY at checkout. That's right. Save 20% off the $97.77 cost of the online writing course today with the code BETTERCOMEDY. Also, if you'd like to get more out of your comedy experience, the Patreon sponsorship is a great way to go. Everybody that contributes monthly gets a bonus thing or two every month. And if you contribute at the $7 a month or more level, you get invited to our Google Hangouts where you get specific information right back in real time. Your questions on your jokes, your comedy career, your next steps in the Hangout with me and the other attendees. Check all that out at schooloflast.com. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 128, this Thanksgiving week edition of the School of Last podcast. Hope you have some things to be thankful for on this thankful holiday season. And I think you'll thank me later for interviewing Nick Garnett, who's with us today on the episode. Uh, Nick's a great guy. Met him in Des Moines this past summer at a Speakers Bureau showcase. Basically, at one of those things, a bunch of speakers go up and do their best 12 minutes in hopes that the event planners that are attending that meeting will hire that speaker. That's where I got to see Nick do his outstanding comedy set and thought I needed to catch up with him, find out more about him, and share him with you guys. And I'm glad I did. We uh, talked about all kinds of stuff. You know, he started in the 80s, which is always interesting. Started out in Denver, which is even more interesting because he had to follow Roseanne back when she was blowing stages up, man. And and he got put on right after her one night. He talks about that, uh, being inspired by Tim Allen. Talks about trying to break into acting in L.A. And then uh, also finding his way to what he does now, speaking and having a point when he speaks, which a lot of us don't. Um, but that's what works in the speaker world, and that's what works for Nick. We talk about his books, Me, We, and Glee, and The Book of Dude, and a whole lot more. Uh, we also talk about the one part that I was told I was I was told that I'm great for in acting in a sitcom. So you'll find that out today. All kinds of great stuff. We talk about triple runs, you name it, it's in there. Uh, before we get to that, I do want to say thanks for listening to the podcast. We uh, have blown right through the 100,000 download mark. Uh, recently and like a week later we had 5,000 more downloads so it's picking up some steam I give you guys the credit for that please keep sharing the word about the podcast you know if you've got some comedy buddies you hang out at open mic got a couple minutes to talk just say hey man you ought to be listening to that school of last podcast give them a couple reasons why and uh, help keep spreading the word so we get a greater impact on all this stuff that we're doing here at the podcast Uh, if you do want to take that writing class 20% off if you key in the code Better Comedy at checkout. I'll talk more about that after this episode. But right now, let's get right on in to the interview with Nick Arnett. Nick, what's up, buddy? Rick, good to see you, man. Hey, it's good to see you. We met just a few weeks ago at the uh, Speakers Bureau Showcase in Des Moines, Iowa. How about that? And we had a good time, man. I enjoyed your set. You do comedy. You also do different keynotes around humor and, and stuff based on having fun. And I really enjoyed your set. I think we're of the same 
wavelength, a little bit age-wise and experience-wise, and the stuff you had on the uh, shag carpet was killing me. <laughs> good, good deal, man. Wait, I was really excited to meet you because you, you worked with a friend of mine uh, a few weeks before, Robert G. Lee. Uh, so then, yeah, then I saw your, your promo for the event, and it's like, man, dude, I get to work with this guy. So that was really cool. So you're out there in L.A. But you weren't born in Los Angeles. I was born in Colorado, and that's that's where I started my comedy at the Comedy Works at the world famous Denver Comedy Works. What a great! It was incredible. Uh, I started March twenty sixth, nineteen eighty four. That was my first open mic night there. And I tell you what, some heavy hitters came through that comedy club, didn't they? Yeah, Roseanne for for starters. That's a, and then tons of just incredible comics came there to headline, and it was really cool because in those days you could, you could hang out with them, and and yeah, it was just fantastic and did you see uh, roseanne kind of get her feet wet because i'm trying to think of what year her show was on yeah she was you know she was really a big star when i started out as a matter of fact i remember i got moved up to the regular schedule i was doing five minutes right and they they had it didn't have it arranged very well so she goes out there and kills for 20 and i'm a newbie i go out there with five minutes and you know you could have studied for your bar exam during that time it was already quiet <laughs> Probably some but, people were at the bar. Yeah, right. Yeah. But Roseanne was so nice. She was really cool, really down to earth. Now, I, I'm not positive this is true, but I, from what I know, like Louis Anderson was a Denver favorite when he would come through. And I think he kind of orchestrated her coming to L.A. and get, getting seen by Mitzi at the comedy store. And then the rest is history. It kind of happened like that. It happened really fast once yeah. she got out to L.A. That's pretty cool. Who were some of the other guys out there when you first started? That, you, that whether they were from there or touring through there, that really caught your attention. Well, Matt Berry is uh, doing really, really well here. I think he's a showrunner, so he's doing incredibly well. Aaron, Aaron, sure. I think he had a lot to do with everything I, with the Raymond show. I think he was a, a guy on that, and he's doing really, really well. Steve Steich, another friend of mine, uh, writing plays and doing well out here. Reed Harrison, the comic I started with, I think he's in France writing for a, a cartoon show or something. Really? But, but a lot of them are doing well. It seems like the ones that did the writing, Roger Rittenhouse, another guy uh, doing some writing out here. It's really funny. Uh, guys coming through, Tim Allen, it was really cool because he was, he was the first comic that I ever saw, the first real comic that I ever saw. I, I was watching in Denver. There was an all-night talk show. It was experimental. And Tim Allen was on, and he said, I'll be at the Comedy Works. So I didn't even know there was a comedy club in Denver. So I went there that weekend, never laughed so hard in my life. And I said, man, I really want to do this. Because I did skits uh, in youth group, in church youth group. And I used to love doing skits because I'm pretty shy. But if I can get in front of a group of people and they laugh, then I start feeling relaxed right away. So so I kind of got it. I, I I knew how to make people laugh, but I I wanted to do it like, hey Tim, I want to be like Tim Allen. So he was he was kind of the who I kind of modeled myself after when I first started. Uh, but uh, you know, Tim he works kind of dirty, so I never did work dirty. But uh, his style, I I'd say his style was one that I emulated in my early in my early years. Listen, yeah, he was really quick to the punchline, wasn't he? Oh, he was so good. I mean, he's still great. He just really relates to the audience. And uh, it was really funny uh, seeing his career just explode because I'd kid around when I, I'd actually get to open up for him when he'd come through Denver. And I'd say, wow, this is so cool because, you know, you're you're the guy that got me started. And he goes, yeah, and you're going to pass me up. And, you know, of course, <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, I don't think he even knows who I am now, but I, I'll, 
I still be grateful to him. He was always a super nice guy. A lot of great people came. Steve Odekirk, I don't know if you know him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'd come through. Great, great, great guy. Yeah. That's cool. And there used to be, I mean, I went through Denver a couple times back in the 90s. What was the name of that other club that was out on the perimeter? There was George McKelvey's club. Then there was one called Wits End. That's the one I'm trying to think of. I think that I think that one's closed now. I'm yeah. not sure. That's that's the one I was able to get into, but I wasn't able to penetrate the comedy works. Oh man, that's a that's a rough one, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a rough one, and it was hard. It was really hard on the the headliners that would come through because uh, Steve McGrew is a really strong local headliner there, and he would just go and give it everything he had for twenty minutes, and then 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 the headliner would have to follow, and that. That made it kind of hard for. I thought that was kind of unfair for some of the headliners that came through because there'd be an hour of pretty strong acts in front of the headliner. Kind of, the audience is kind of tired, and then then this guy has to come out and you know make it happen. Yeah, and a lot of local references in that first hour too. That's cool, man. And then so you stayed in Denver for how long, honing your chops before you made a pilgrimage? I stayed there for wow. I moved to Seattle in about the in the late eighties, I think, in the late eighties. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I thought kind of thought all I, I had done as much as I could do in Denver. Maybe I could have done more, but I, I just kind of wanted to to be in a, a different market. Sure. So, uh, one of my tours that was through Seattle, through the Northwest. Pat Wilson was the booked a lot of gigs up there in the Northwest. I think she still does. Um, and uh, so she booked me some gigs around there, and some even some stuff in Canada. And uh, I just liked it. I liked Seattle. The, the The economy in Denver was horrible at the time. And so I, I went up there. I stayed up there for about three years before I moved to L.A. And what kind of what kind of fun stuff did you do up in the Seattle area? Were there, you have a home club up there? At, at uh, well, there was Giggles, and then there was the Comedy Underground. Yeah. They were both great, uh, really great rooms. Uh, but I traveled. I was a lot more on the road. At that stage, I was gone a lot. I was gone a lot more than I was home. Right. Doing, you know, clubs and a lot of one-nighters, too. Yeah, the the Canadian gigs always... I could never have great success in Canada. It seemed like they could enjoy the show, but they would not tell their body to laugh and respond in a way. Like, could be some... Yeah, there could be some really, really rough times and super rough, if, especially the one-nighters there were extremely difficult. And for me, I... Well, I wasn't never that that kind of like a really tough guy act, so I think those work better there. Um... And I always worked clean, so that was kind of difficult. But there was uh, the punch. I worked some of the punchlines. I don't even know if they're still open there, but there was one in Vancouver. And that was a good club. Interesting thing, the owner of that club was also a comedian. And so if the audience was really hot, because he would be the opener, uh-huh. he would just do a ton of time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes maybe leave you with maybe five or ten minutes to do your to do your thing, even though you were the headliner. Yeah. That's it. But if it was a great audience, he would just stay up there and have fun. That happened to me in Salt Lake City a couple times. This guy, um, Johnny B's Comedy Club. Great guy, Johnny B, but he would do that also. Well, you know, it's your club. I guess you can do what you want, right? Yeah, there's a guy in Florida that used to do that. But he would he would go up and do everybody else's material that had come oh, through. Fine. And uh, it got to the point where he went up. He, he didn't know who he was getting all this material from over time. He just thought, you know, I saw it work. I'm going to take it. So he forget the comics that he stole from. And basically he went up one night and did 20 minutes of a headliner set right before the headliner. 
Oh, so when he comes my. off stage, then I go, you just did my first 20 minutes, dude. You know, like he, he had forgotten who he'd stole it from. <laughs> wow. Wow. But it's one of those guys, if, if the crowd was hot, he'd stay up there. If it was a packed house, he'd stay up there. So he'd be like, get the local celebrity thing going on. But yeah, it would kill the overall show. Yeah, exactly. There was a guy in Denver that started at the same time. He, he was moving up really fast. He had this killer material. And then one time we were watching a comedy show, and it was his act. So he was doing somebody else's stuff, but he was shooting. And that, but there were a few guys in, that used to be frustrating that would use other people's stuff. Uh, but the, you know that's not the audience's responsibility to know. But it was frustrating that they would get a, a lot of bookings, or they would always kill because they had the best writers in comedy. Uh, you yeah. know, working for him, right? Yeah, they'd already honed it down and done it on on late night. So, yeah, <laughs> grabbing the good stuff, and that would that would occasionally drive me nuts on the road when somebody was, and it wouldn't even drive me nuts that the comic was doing it. Is that the guy booking the club didn't care or even knew and could care less? Exactly. As long as the people were laughing, really, that's the, that's their job is to make sure the crowd's having a good time. And they, you know, some guys have a moral compass, but a lot of club owners don't. They're just like, hey, I don't care. So it, it's it is frustrating. It's it's not the norm by any means, but it's it happens enough to where it can drive you a little nuts, you know. So you you did some time there in Seattle, and then uh, was there one particular thing that led to Los Angeles, an opportunity, or was it just like the next step on the comedy journey? It, it was the next step, I, and I, I was I was pretty naive. You know, I took some acting classes in Seattle, and I thought sitcoms were a big deal. I didn't think a comedy would be about me, but I thought I could could be on a sitcom. Uh, so that's why I moved out to L.A. That's cool. I would love to have been in a sitcom or something like that. My memory is not such to where I could memorize the material. And I did a few auditions, a couple of commercials back in the day and stuff. But I remember one guy telling me after a long audition process, he's like, Rick, um, not everybody's cut out to be a leading man. But there's a lot of guys that are perfect for the crazy neighbor next door. And you live two blocks away from that guy. Sorry, it didn't work out. <laughs> like, oh, it's cutthroat, man. Yeah, I would think you'd be great in those. Uh, well, thanks. I, it, just, it never panned out. I really didn't have a huge interest in moving out of the Midwest. I mean, I, I you know, did some stuff in New York a little bit, did some stuff in L.A. a little bit with our improv group. And I, just the vibe that I got when I was in those cities was like nobody ever looked you in the eyes. They were kind of looking over your shoulder to see if they should be moving on and talking to that next guy. Yeah, I'm not the best networker in the world either. Like even here at the improv, people would hang out every night. You know, a lot of them didn't have a set, but they would just hang out to be seen. And I just, I just hated doing that kind of stuff. Hated it. Did you get any uh, auditions where you felt like you were close? Like, oh man, I nailed that, but they just went some other direction. I had that, but even getting an audition was. It, was and is extremely tough. I mean, it, you get an agent, but then you've got to get an agent, a good agent, because uh, if they're just an average agent, they don't even call most of their people in. So they, they maybe might even look at the top 10 agencies or so. And uh, the very few little work that I did get was basically because I knew somebody. Uh, yeah, it would, so it was because of that. But I was pretty good when I would get out there. I'd usually get a call back and stuff, but... Uh, I never, never really had any heat. So finally, you know, I just kind of, I've given it up. Yeah. So that's okay. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Different stages, different phases, you know? Exactly. And, you know, even people, talent's not nearly enough. There's some just fantastic people that, that'll never, never get a shot. And people that, you know, did really, really well, then they started hardly anything happening for them anymore. You just move on, you reinvent yourself and, you know, there's a lot of good things that's still out there. 
Hey guys, sorry for the intrusion. I had already recorded the intros and outros on this podcast before I got this information, but I wanted to make sure you got it, so I had to put it right here in the middle. Hey, on December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, there are some huge shows going on in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. It's actually Clayton, North Carolina, but uh, the biggest city close by is Raleigh. Uh, three nights in a row, there's a Pure Flix recording. That's kind of like a, a pure, clean version of Netflix. And they're doing a Pure Flix comedy all-star special. And guess what? I get to be part of that. Uh, there's going to be 36 comedians all together, uh, 12 show taping and it's all happening right there in Clayton, North Carolina and I can get you free tickets if you hit me up and let me know you want to go. So let me give you the information first. If it sounds like you can show up or would like to, let me know how many people, uh, what night and uh, I'll get you on the guest list. First off, uh, on December 1st, the host will be Sinbad and we've got comics uh, Mia Jackson, who you know from Last Comic Standing, Chase Anthony, Dwight Slade, Patty Vasquez, Taylor Mason, who you've heard right here on the podcast, Horace H.B. Sanders, very funny guy, uh, Jamie Bendel from Atlanta, Mary Ellen Hooper, one of my favorite comics of all time, uh, Terry Moore, Dale Jones, another one of my favorite comics, Karen Rontakowski, and Jamar Haynes Lee. So that's a huge lineup. That's the first four episodes all being shot consecutively there on December 1st. Sinbad is hosting. I'll be in attendance that night, but I won't be on stage on December 1st. So, great lineup again. Uh, Mia Jackson, Patty Vasquez, Taylor Mason, Horse, H.B. Sanders, Mary Ellen Hooper, Dale Jones. What else do you want, people? Well, maybe you want December 2nd, because that's the night I'll be on the show. And hosting that night is Jeff Allen, who you've heard right here on the podcast talk about how he overcame alcohol and anger and focused his energy into his comedy, and he's doing great things. Well, he's hosting the 2nd, and that's where they record episodes 5 through 8. I'll be on the episode along with Happy Cole, Dale Jones back for a second show, Drew Thomas, Jamie Bendel again. we got Dan Mangini, Landry. Jared Harris, we got Tom Simmons who does a great video series on YouTube and very, very funny guy. Scotty Kay who pulls out all the stops. Lace Larrabee, uh, Karen Rotnikowski is on that show as well. All kinds of great comedy on December 2nd. That's a Friday night. That's the show that I'm on, again, December 2nd. So, hosted by Jeff Allen. If you think you can make December 2nd, I can get you on any of the nights, but that's the night that I'll be on. And then December 3rd, that Saturday, maybe you're just coming to the area that weekend, uh, Louis Anderson's hosting that night. And on that night, Mary Ellen Hooper's back to do another set. Ronnie Bullard, who's very, very funny. Happy Cole again. Mike Speenberg, who you're going to hear on the podcast here in the near future, is on that show. Leanne Morgan, who you hear on Blue Collar Radio and the uh, Jeff and Larry channel. She'll be there. Brian Mallow. we got Hank Denson, Derek Tennant, who you've heard right here on the podcast. Daphne Springs is going to be on the show. Andy Forrester, Kylie Group, and Tommy Blaze, who I need to get on the podcast because he's the guy who's putting this whole thing together. So again, three great nights of comedy in Clayton, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. I can get you free tickets if you guarantee you're going to show up because we don't want an empty seat on that TV taping. Let me know at School of Laughs at gmail.com. Again, your name, how many guests you're going to have with you, which night, and I'll put you on the list. Now, sorry for that intrusion. Let's get back to the episode at hand. No, absolutely. I think reinvention, is, not only is it necessary, but it's it's interesting to you, the person, to find the next thing that you can pull off and push yourself into areas that you're not comfortable with. Or, you know, for me, like the speaking part of, of what I do now, the, the comedy been rolling along for a long time, and in 2008, when that economy tanked, I remember getting 
gigs canceled for the first time ever. Like people calling up said, "Hey, we had you booked at our conference, and uh, the whole conference is canceled." Mm. You know, like that Bank of America party that hit the yeah. big news story just was killing everybody. And you know, one group came back and said, "Hey." Uh, we can have you at the conference, but you have to have a message when you come down. We just can't write comedian on the paycheck. They'll they'll kill us. You know that led into my first little keynote speech, which led into two or three other things uh, as far as you know comedy based, but not a straight ahead comedy show. And I, I enjoy that stuff as much as I do just going out and being funny. Well, see, I actually like that more now, Rick. I, I don't uh, when they book me just to come in and be a comedian. I feel a lot more pressure because for me, uh, you know. So, if the jokes aren't really working, then you can go more into the message and relate to them on that level. So I like having that. Uh, I like having that. Uh, what do you call it? Something to add to it. Robert G. Lee, who I mentioned earlier, he I like his. He, he says that you should tickle, touch, and teach, and I kind of like that. That's kind of what I like to do when I what I like to accomplish when I whenever I do something. So yeah, I'll take straight comedy gigs, but I, I prefer. I prefer that they bring me in as a, a speaker who who can be funny. That's, I like that better. I do too. And you said tickle, touch, and teach, which I think parallels what I think is head, heart, and hands. Like oh, that's make them, good. Make them think, make them feel, make them do something. Oh, good. So I'm I'm with you on that program, and I, and I think too the maybe it's just getting older, but having it some kind of impact is more important than just having an image. You know, like going in there and you know. You giving up your image of whatever you think you are to have an impact for another group is is more powerful and more rewarding. It, it benefits everybody better. I think so, and particularly you know if uh, they're spending all that money, they're, they're hopefully they can take something away from it too. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I always wonder. You know, sometimes a group just does need a laugh, and an hour of comedy is perfect. They've heard speakers all day long, so they just want to chill out after dinner or whatever. Um, but sometimes I wonder when they write those checks, like, okay, the, the key takeaway here was um, knock, knock. <laughs> you know, yeah. What are they going to write down? But the, but I love when after a, a, you know, I call them programs. I don't really call them speeches or, or keynotes. But after a program, they say, man, I love the way you, you delivered that content today. And the, you know, we were laughing the whole time, which is refreshing, too. So it's, when they get that balance of it, I think they learn better. And the comedy is even twice as strong, I think, because they don't know exactly when the comedy is going to play into it. Exactly, exactly. But now, for me, the worst case scenario on a corporate gig is, uh, hey, there's going to be an open bar, you know, after the dinner, so they're going to be nice and loosened up for you. And to me, that's like the worst thing uh, that I could have heard. Yeah, uh, I hate those, man. Yeah, that always makes me nervous. I have a, a series of questions I ask when somebody wants to hire me. You know. And on there is, is there a bar? Is it in the same room that we are in? <laughs> if, yeah. if it is, can we move it to a different room? And those people can go do that. And the people who don't want to do that can come see me. You know, And they're like, really? I thought they'd be better if they're all drunk. I'm like, it is, it is never better if right. they're all drunk. If you, the event planner, are drunk, that's especially not good. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, and then these lunch gigs, these lunch corporate gigs, they, they're usually running behind. So they've got a schedule. So then they want to bring you up to do some comedy while they're still eating their lunch. Oh, that's a, that's a really. I even put it in my writer that I won't perform uh, while they're still eating, but they don't really pay attention to it that much. I know I put that in my writer, but sometimes I realize I still need to perform while they're eating, or else my family doesn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, man. Um, I know you've written a couple of books. Yeah, can you tell me about Me, We, and Glee? 
Me, we, and glue. Well, that that was through, actually inspired by a speaker's bureau. I was doing a talk similar to that, and this guy says, "You know what? Uh, you, this other guy is no better than you, but he's getting all this work because he has a book. You really need to have a book if you if you want to do these corporate uh, gigs." Uh, so so I did. I could, it didn't really take that long to write because it, it's a talk I've been doing for ten years, so it was a lot of fun. I want to update it too, but me, we, and Glee, how to have a great attitude, work as a team, keep your sense of humor. And that's what I talk about. I have got more work because of it. So I'm really happy. My first book is just a silly book. It's called The Book of Dude. Yeah. And I did that when I was living in Seattle because my, my signature piece is the, you know, dudes around the world. I can name a dude from any country kind of thing. I really thought that was going to be my, you know, something that would really get me a lot of notoriety. I thought it would go viral maybe even on YouTube once that happened, even though I'd been doing it for so long. You know, people liked it. It sold really well on my own. I never could get a publisher. I said, publish it myself. We and Glee, did you go through a publishing house for that one? Didn't even bother. Didn't even try to get one. I just wanted to crank one out. Yeah, especially now with the print-on-demand factor and all these different things. You know, you don't have to carry any physical property anymore if you want to just sell it off your website. And Yeah, I don't know if it's a... A way to a way to get rich, but it's still nice that you have a product that people can have, and and then you could do it the electronic version. I for what I make on the print version, the electronic version uh, is about the same, really, with a lot less work. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't like electronic books myself to read, but some people do. Yeah, I've only downloaded two and only read one of them. You know, because it's just something about I don't know. If you're looking at it on the iPad, you could always just hit stop and look at everything else in the entire world <laughs> or you can come back to this one page you know yeah uh yeah but there are so many things now amazon's got the print on demand the kindle version all these different things so that's that's in the hopper down the road but i'm always curious you know the the process of going about it how did how did you had to talk for a while for the me we and glee but how did you go about you know breaking it down into chapters and setting a deadline for yourself well i got kind of lucky because a, a friend of mine when I told her about it, she had been involved with something uh, like that before. And she actually, a friend of mine from church, so she actually, we just sat down and outlined it. It didn't take very long, really. And and actually, my thought process, I, I like to ask a lot of questions. I always like to be near a computer because I, I always have a lot of questions. So that And so that kind of, my thought process is kind of like that. I question things, so that helps me write as well. A friend of mine wants me to co-write a book on stress. Uh, so that might be how she is like have, has like a six step uh, program on how to to lower your stress level, and I'm interested in that. So the plan is that I'm going to write around her. So she'll write, and then I'll I'll write around what she has because I'll have questions, and I could add some little maybe some humor to it and stuff. So oh, that's a that's cool the idea. Plan. Then you get product for both of you. Right now, her plan is that we sit down and write a book together. But I don't want to do that. No, I'd rather just. She has what I what she has. Yeah, I, I'm not like that collaborator guy. No, I mean that that would actually be an interesting concept for all books is to have the author go for a couple pages and then it's interrupted by the reader with questions that the author has to defend. And you know, through that you can whittle down and edit your original version. But there can be that back and forth, like you're you're almost playing with the reader's psyche, and you have that in a different font or whatever. Like, wait, 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 wait. You're mean to tell me that if I do this, this, and that, I'm going to reduce stress, but I can't remember to do one thing. You're telling me to do, you know. Yeah, right. Some of that back and forth, like the the voice of reason. Just to get, yeah. And the thing is, some people actually don't mind reading through stuff like that. I, personally, I 
you know, it's hard for me, you know, when somebody wants me to read or endorse their book or something. I don't get too much of that, but then you have to read it. And that's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My book you can read. That's what I like. My book you can read in, in two hours, and it gets to the point quickly. I've got a lot of bullet points in there, and I, I that's what I like. I, I don't know about you, but I start a lot of books, and they're okay for a while, but like you say, there's other stuff to do too, right? Well, you know, just after you've been a comedian for a while, you can't spend six pages on character development. You know, like you can't invest your, your reading time into something that – that long a comedian you just need to know one fact and then what's the funny thing after it so it's hard there to read you after you've been a comedian for a while i think yeah like these intros to books that's so i you know oh i know my intro man i can't it's, make it through the intro like if, it, if right? it's two pages i'm like just tell it tell us it's a good book yeah just make it happen dude yeah don't yeah. even tell us just give me a thumbs up a picture of you giving it a thumbs up that should that's gonna be the intro to my first book just <laughs> just people saying yeah Holding the book and thumbs up. <laughs> right on, man. Right on. <laughs> That's sweet, man. Uh, one other thing I like that, that you do, and we did a quick one at the uh, Speakers Bureau Showcase, is your little video series, Cool People I Meet. Yeah, Cool People I Know or Meet with Nick Arnett, and, and you're on one of them. That's, what I, that's really, if I could do anything at all, that's what I would do. I'd have a show on PBS and that my show would be cool people I know or meet with Nick Arnett and I would just go all over the place and just talk to people who are you what do you do what what makes you do what you do how did it happen yep you know? what you what do you think about life what's your philosophy I just love that yeah I mean when I grew up I mean you probably watched some of the same shows I did but they had that show real people with skip whatever and yeah yeah and they would just go you know they usually find the oddballs but they would find these you know the guy that has a car that he sodded the top of it and it's all grass and he drives around in this car made out of grass and just, you know, random odd people. But right. everybody has some kind of story. And if you ask yeah. the right questions, you'll get the story out of them, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think everybody's got a story. It's funny. And I would rather watch you talk to that person and learn about them than me talk to that person. <laughs> really? You know, I'm, I get on a plane. There's an opportunity to have a conversation with a cool or new person almost almost every time I sit down. Yeah, but I I I find myself just looking over, saying, "Hey, you know, make sure you buckle your seatbelt," and that's it. You know, I'm just focused. But literally, if you talk to that same person, I'd be fascinated by it. I think because because you bring the fascination factor to it for all the viewers, and you're not going to you know you're not going to put up an episode of somebody that's not interesting. So right, I mean, I trust your decisions, except for you know having me on there. I I hope that works out for you it'd be a cool thing and i'd be the first guy to go out there and watch it and promote it for sure oh thanks yeah that's that's really what i want that's the that's what i really really want cool so, man it almost sounds like a spice girl song yeah exactly <laughs> what about your cool people thing as a short segment on a late night talk show you know a 90 second cutaway that's a great idea yeah you know yeah, that's something see, i hadn't thought about that before yeah take Maybe it after listening you know hey plug me in yeah, plug plug Nick in there. You know, go out. You know, produce fifteen or twenty of them. Have a little backlog and start pitching away, man. Do you uh, watch a lot of Netflix? I don't have Netflix. What? And I've only seen two movies in the past twenty years at the theater. Man, really? That's wild. What, what do you do instead of, of watching uh, movies and stuff? I just watch my two kids. They're like entertaining, and by the time they that's go to bed, so- I'm exhausted. <laughs> your kids? Uh, do your kids get? Uh, do they get to watch TV if they want? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, my son has a YouTube channel, 
and he he produces four or five videos a week at minimum and post at least three or four you know whenever i get home from the road i help him post them up on there so he he's a creator in a sense like he loves little miniature stories and characters and uh he chronicles adventures with him and his buddies oh how cool and so i, I kind of get it i don't know at some point i just became more of a creator of content than a consumer of content like it just, it just got to be so much i don't even know where to start so i just i'll make little snippets here with my little buddy and make some of my own are you attached to your phone at all not like, re- not in the way that a lot of people are. I can honestly say if it wasn't for needing it for business, I wouldn't even have a cell phone at all. I didn't have a smartphone for, for quite a while. Well, it's a tool now. Like You can shoot your videos with it and that kind of thing. So it's, it is hard to separate from it. But part of me sometimes just wish I was – I worked at Lowe's, came home at 5, and just had dinner and watched TV and just chilled out. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know how we survived all those days without the smartphone, like for the the navigation and all. I, I remember the old days that you thought you were cool if you go to AAA and get a trip tick before you go on the road. You yeah, know, for your thing to be all laid out for you. Yep. Yeah. You had to give it two weeks so they can print it out and mail it to you. <laughs> oh man, I had a trucker's atlas back when I used to do the road like that, and yeah. it would tell you kind of the approximate time between points, and it was pretty accurate, but. David, you know David Tribble. You ever heard that name, Tribble? Oh yeah, he had a lot of like really spread out one-nighters, right? Way spread out one-nighters. One time, I was way up in Idaho, like Idaho Falls, I think, and I had to get to Kelso, Washington, the next day by like two o'clock. So it, it was brutal. And not only that, I had to take somebody to the train station, so I couldn't leave before the show was over. Uh, so I didn't even get on the road till till like midnight, and just drove until like couldn't see straight. You ever and sleep in the car for a few hours, right, at, the, at a rest stop, and then keep on going. Yep. Get yep. to the gig. That's, that's the sacrifices, my friend. Make $200. I think it was $200 then. Yeah. They probably, I think they pay less now even. Then it was bad. I think it's even less. Well, it, even if it's the same, it's a lot less. Gas is three times as much and everything else that goes along with it. So Yeah. Yeah, it, it's yeah. tough out there. Cool, buddy. Well, I just want to let people know where they can find out more about you. It's nickarnett.com. That's right. And, I'll and put- follow me on, on Facebook or, or any of the social media. I'm on there, LinkedIn. But I try to post uh, some positive, inspiring things every day or, or funny. So uh, go to that. My Facebook page is the same. But that would be great if you can uh, follow me or just, just check it out say, hey. Yeah, you gotta, you got to learn more about Nick Arnett, people. So get in there and find out. Rick Roberts rocks, man. Hey, Dude, thanks. you're so good. You're such a likable guy. Really, you are. You got the thing where people feel like they've known you for a long time right away. Not many people have that. Well, it's called stalking, and they they know that I've been around. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you carving out some time today, and uh, best of luck on everything in the future here. Thanks, Rick. Thank you, buddy. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Nick Arnett. You can tell he's a good guy, good-hearted guy, and a funny guy. Uh, you can check out more about Nick at Nick Arnett. That's A-R-N-E-T-T-E dot com. Check him out on Facebook, YouTube, wherever. I've got links in the show notes at schooloflast.com that you can click right through and find out more about our guest today, Nick Arnett. Real quickly, if you enjoyed the episode or any of the episodes of School of Last Podcast and you haven't left an iTunes review yet, would absolutely love that. Would try to... 
you know, really would like to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year. we got about five weeks to go, and we're 10 shy. So if you think, man, I would like to leave a review and just haven't done it yet, now's the time to jump on it. Just like Andrew Stanley did back on November 5th. He says the podcast is helpful and encouraging. Gave it five stars. Says this exactly. This podcast has been an unbelievable resource for me as I've started doing some open mics. Rick and his guest always have something helpful and applicable to share. I would recommend this podcast to anyone involved or interested in comedy. Thanks, Andrew. And I got to tell you guys, I met Mr. Stanley uh, as he was standing in line, Stanley, for the big show this past week with uh, Keith Alberstadt, Nate Bragazzi, Brian Bates. And I got to meet him really quickly. Always happy and exciting to meet guys and gals that listen to the podcast. So uh, good luck to you, Mr. Stanley. Let me know if I can help you out at all. And thanks for leaving an iTunes review. And as I mentioned, we watched Brian Bates, who you've heard on the podcast many times. You've heard Keith Aberstadt and Nate Bargatze. They were all at Zany's last week. And uh, I got a text Saturday and said, hey, would you mind doing a guest set? So I got to pop down and do a guest set. And I was really stoked to see the show. I was going to go down and see the show anyway, uh, but I was stoked to see it. And I also see Brian Bates finally has released his first CD. And this is pretty exciting for me, as you may, may or may not remember from the podcast in the past. Uh, Brian was a student eight years ago and has uh, stuck to his guns, worked on his skill set, and now he's crushing it everywhere he goes. He's got that new CD out. And to kind of have fun and say thanks for listening to you guys, I wanted to play a clip from the CD Brian Bates, Easy Out, and uh, I'll link to it in the show notes if you want to go check him out and get this thing off of iTunes. You can go right now and download it if you like. So here's Brian Bates with a couple of jokes here, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Stay funny. I love movies. I love all movies, going to movies. I even like uh, Christian films. A lot of people not Christian films. They say they're hacky or cheesy or something like that. But I just think it's because they have to work on a really small budget. Like, it's hard to shoot a great, epic, biblical scene that's supposed to be set in the Holy Lands when, because of tax incentives, you're having to film it in Dalton, Georgia. (laughs) That is hard. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, but just past the Sea of Galilee, you see a Waffle House sign. (laughs) One of the extras yells, roll tie for no reason. (laughs) That's hard. You always notice in these movies, Jesus always has a British accent. That's to make him seem more authentic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. They can't afford to fly a guy and speak Aramaic. Give him a British accent. We're like, hey, this guy's not from around these parts. I think he's authentic. This guy's straight out of Nazareth. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.